Good luck, team. All of us here at Mission Control are proud to be a part of this historic liftoff of the first mission to Mars. And a great big of blood on the ground. <laughs> Man has a dream, and that's the start. He follows his dream with mind and heart. And when it becomes a reality, it's a dream come true for you and me. So there's a great big beautiful tomorrow. where the romance, the comedy, and the thrill of Disney fantasies come to electric life. Hello everybody and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World Information Station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, author of the Walt Disney World Trivia Books, the audio guides to Walt Disney World, and publisher of Celebrations Magazine. And this is show number 218 for the week of April 17th, 2011. An important part of our Disney vacations include not just the memories we return with, but sometimes the souvenirs, collectibles, or gifts for others that we come home with as well. And oftentimes, the collectible, whether it be as small and simple as a pin to something more elaborate, is truly a work of art. This week, I want to introduce you to one of the very talented artists that makes those souvenirs come to life. He is Randy Noble from the Disney Design Group, and in addition to his work and contributions to special events such as Star Wars Weekends, he's also the founder and father of one of the newest and largest Disney collecting crazes, Vinylmation. We'll talk about his early work and inspiration, career at Disney, the Vinylmation craze, and he'll offer advice to those listening who dream their own dreams of working for Disney. I'll have updated information about upcoming meets of the month in Walt Disney World and play more of your voicemails at the end of the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. For many Disney enthusiasts, their Walt Disney World vacation doesn't begin or end when they arrive and then leave the parks. Because for many, it begins with the planning uh, at home months in advance, and they're able to keep those memories going long after it's over with photos and videos of their own, and in many cases, the souvenirs that they bring home. From single items to a new addition to a growing collection, Walt Disney World guests bring home a variety of gifts wearables, collectibles, and artwork that serves as a constant reminder of their love of Disney. And while we enjoy collecting, displaying, and sharing what we bring home, we often don't know about the incredibly talented people that bring those ideas to life. And in my continuing mission to help you get to know some of the people behind the curtain that truly help create the magic that we continue to enjoy now 
and for many years to come. Uh, I wanted to bring you one of those people who names you may have heard, um, but maybe never had a chance to learn more about. And he is a person who has literally helped to create a phenomenon for kids and adults alike. Because if you've heard of Vinylmation, you probably know the name of my next guest. He is Randy Noble from the Disney Design Group. Randy, welcome. Hi, how you doing? Great. It is, it is a pleasure to meet you. I, uh, I said when I first uh, met you today that I have heard your name in, in many circles, not only because I've talked to guys like Brian Blackmore and Mark Seppler from the Design Group, um, but because I've seen some of your amazing artwork. And of course, we're definitely going to talk about that little vinylmation thing that, uh, that just may take off. Right. <laughs> but um, I, I want to sort of learn a little bit more about you. I want to hear a little bit more about your background growing up. Were you a Disney fan? And how did it get to the point where you get to do this for a living? Yeah, well, um, I'm from uh, a town called Kettering, Ohio, which is a suburb of Dayton, Ohio, and um, uh, had always had a love of art growing up. My father had a design studio when I was a kid and uh, worked in the creative community in Ohio, uh, mostly from a technical aspect, doing engineering drawings for General Electric or aircraft engines and, and air shows that we would put on at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And So I was always around these amazing creative uh, types. And I think out of a need that sometimes we all have to please our father, you try to draw and, and do things to get his approval. Because my dad was a pretty good artist, too. He, he, was, he was not an artist. He was an owner of a, a design studio. But he had that desire to be creative. And, um, and, and that rubbed off on me. And, and so my parents were wonderful about getting me to, uh, to local art schools outside of high school and junior high. Uh, I attended the Dayton Art Institute, which uh, uh, was a great program to go to after school and weekends to learn art. Uh, so I, I've just always been around art, always loved art, and always had a passion to become an artist. Uh, grew up loving Norman Rockwell and uh, the Wyeth family of illustrators and artists. And um, I remember seeing original Norman Rockwell paintings that were hanging uh, two blocks from my house when I was a kid and getting excited about becoming an illustrator. Um, so art, art has always had a huge part of my life. My mother is a, a dancer, studied in New York, taught ballet, uh, my brother works in the music uh, field, so uh, the whole family has been involved in the arts my whole life. So were you the, the kid in, in grammar school and middle school and high school who was always, instead of taking notes, you were the one who was sketching <laughs> images and cartoons on the side? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, teachers would come by and see me scribbling uh, on my notebook, and, and you, you had everything from Randy, you need to pay attention more, to, uh, hey, could you do a painting for my house? So mm. uh, it was interesting. By the time I came a senior in high school, uh, a lot of the teachers uh, at my school were asking for, for paintings I had done, uh, which was a huge compliment. And I remember my father uh, pushing me to get a job. I was working at Ponderosa as a dishwasher, and, and, uh, and it, it was an interesting experience. But, but I thought, you know, I'm sure there's a way I can make money doing art. And I found a job. A, a local company came into town uh, um, and set up record stores, and they didn't have any art. And my parents were walking into this bookstore, and I said, you know what, I'm going to go talk to these people that are opening this record store. And I got to meet the owner, and I said, could I do a painting for you, of an album cover to hang in your store for display? Kind of like the old Peaches. We used to have these Peaches record stores. They had these huge paintings of record album covers. And, and I was a dumb 18-year-old kid thinking I could do just as well. And the owner gave me two albums to paint. I remember it was a Bee Gees cover and a Santana cover. <laughs> 
And I went home and painted it, came back and showed him. He goes, you know what, I love this stuff. And he gave me 20 more to do. And so I quit my job and uh, I used my mom's dance studio to, to do the paintings in. And for the next year before I went to, to college, uh, painted all these amazing album covers. So uh, it was great, a learning tool, and, and I'm glad that I had the guts to go ask. <laughs> Of course, we're dating ourselves now because we're talking about things like records and the Bee Gees, two things that are probably uh, foreign to a lot of people who are listening. But what about Disney? Did you, you know, we all sort of grow up having some sort of connection to Disney. Were you a fan of the the cartoons or, or watching Walt on Sunday nights? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Our family was no different than other families. We loved watching Disney on on, on Sunday and. Um, we grew up going to the movies. I remember going to the theater and seeing Jungle Book when I was a kid and being just um, you know, amazed at the animation. Always wanted to do art. Uh, our families took trips from Dayton, Ohio to Florida, that long drive. You know, Dad, are we there yet? And, uh, and, and, and we would stay. Our first stay was at the Contemporary, um, and I think it was 1972 was my first visit as a kid. And I remember going downstairs, for, for, for those that remember, uh, downstairs, there used to be an arcade or a game gallery down there, and we would go down and just play. play. Well, there was a, a guy who sat in this little box, and he would draw caricatures mm-hmm. of guests. And I remember going up and asking him, like, what kind of a nib are you using on your pen, and what are you drawing on? And, and he, was, he was just so encouraging to me to, to, to keep pursuing art and keep drawing. Uh, and, and it's funny, you don't realize you know, who you're touching. Uh, mm-hmm. Even now when I do signings and guests come up and speak to me, you don't know who you're touching that might take that into a wonderful career down the road. So, so I, yes, I started with love of Disney films, and, and I had the, art of Dis- uh, the big book of art of Disney when I was a kid at the house. Every time I came to the park, I would buy a souvenir book because mm-hmm. I just loved to go through the books and uh, would draw the characters all the time. Uh, and then when I got into high school, my father saw that love, and he brought me back down in my senior year. And I got to meet uh, Ralph Kent, who, who was the head of the art department, and another artist by the name of uh, uh, Craig Lillianthorpe. And Craig, at the time, was an art director here, and Ralph introduced me to him. He gave me a tour of the art department, which at that time was under Main Street. Wow. And uh, my dad was so excited that we were going down in the tunnels of Disney, because it's something you heard about, but you never got to experience. And I And even today, he's excited to tell people that story. So... I showed my portfolio to all the artists that worked here as a senior in high school. And after that particular meeting, I went home, and Craig was nice enough to send me a letter thanking me for my time. But he also wrote a letter of recommendation, which got me into California Institute of the Arts in California. <laughs> so that, that, that letter, along with my portfolio, was a huge uh, influence in me attending the school and then ultimately uh, realizing my dream of working here. Um, after, after college at CalArts, I stayed in... Uh, California for about 14 years working in animation and doing illustration design work and realized that it was time to maybe uh, come to Florida and I have some family here and I wasn't sure if I was going to stay with Disney because I had a really good freelance career going at that time Um, but uh, I ran into Mark Seppola at a Mm -hmm. at a uh, trade show and I had done a little bit of freelance work for Mark and he's like you know what you ought to come show your work I think you know there might be a job for you so that's kind of the quick way of how I got here. <laughs> yeah, so we had very similar childhoods up until the point that you started talking about one of us being incredibly talented artists, and that's where <laughs> the, the gap widens immeasurably. You know, certainly you mentioned Cal Arts in passing. I think people need to understand and appreciate just what kind of school Cal Arts is. Certainly it has a, a connection to Disney. It was founded by Walt mm-hmm. in the 60s. It's still yeah. to this day, um, and it's still kind of subsidized by Disney. Yeah. And you 
you know, you attend a school with people like Brad Bird and, and John Lasseter and Pete Docter and Tim Burton. So it, it is probably it is the elite of elite art schools. Yeah, I was uh, I was just really overwhelmed. I remember uh, being uh, at high school and my mom calling and speaking to my guidance counselor and said, "Hey, is it okay if we pull Randy out of class to come take a phone call?" And I remember my mom saying, "We got a letter from Cal Arts. Do you want me to open it, or do you want to wait till you get home?" And I was very calm about it because I, I didn't understand quite the impact Cal Arts had in, in, in the creative community at that young age. And I said, "No, open the letter. Read what it says." And, and I hear her reading, "You know, we're very happy to inform you. You've been accepted." And she's crying, and and I was just overwhelmed because I wasn't quite sure where I was going to go to school. I had narrowed it down between Cal Arts and Columbus College of Art and Design in, in, in Ohio. And um, and I was excited and terrified at the same time because I, you know, I'm from the Midwest and um, uh, you know going all the way to California was a little bit like going to the moon. Uh, it's a really different culture and and, and quality of life. And uh, my father and I flew out there and um, just remember the giant mountains around Cal Arts and Valencia and and how over, overwhelming that was to me as a kid and. Uh, uh, but but CalArts is an amazing school. It had amazing people go through there, not just in the animation program, but in their dance program and theater program, uh, the design department. Uh, you you can look up designers uh, like Lou Danzinger and, and, and April Griman. They're the tops of their field. So I felt really blessed. And Brian Blackmore and I were just talking about that this morning. He, he saw a CalArts catalog I brought in. And uh, it's really important as, as a young artist Really investigate the school. Find out who their staff is, because the staff can make a world of dis- difference in your career. Uh, even if a school has a great reputation, please investigate and find mm-hmm. out who the teachers are, because it can make a huge impact. I, the, in the animation program at CalArts, we had legendary T. He teaching character design, mm-hmm. and Brian was just overwhelmed by that. So um, it's it was an amazing school, and I, I love every moment that I was there. It helped me get the job that I eventually got working at DIC Animation. Did you understand while you were there the, the sort of impact of, of where you were and the legacy behind it and what this was most likely going to be able to do for you career-wise? Yeah, I, I, speaking to your point about Walt starting the school, I knew that he had met with the, the, the former owners of the school, which then was called Chenard, and had this grand idea about creating a, a wonderful art community within a school that they, everyone could kind of feed off of each other. Uh, I, I understood the importance of the school after I got there and started researching a little bit more and talking to students that were, you know, in their third and fourth year of school already. So as time went on, I really learned a lot about um, the value uh, of the school and how it provided so many wonderful artists and opportunities to artists um, over over the years that I was there. And you, you know, before we started talking about you coming down to Orlando, which I guess you said it was 1995, you spent some time in California working, um, not necessarily in animation, but you worked on TV, you worked on, on a lot of toy merchandise as well, you worked for Mattel and a lot of these, you know, again, very big companies. Yeah, actually, the, what happened was, um, during my second year of school, uh, we were going through kind of a tough time in the country, in the economy. And my father's business was being impacted by that. A lot of the companies were cutting back on the amount of art that they were doing. So my father's business was struggling, and, and I'd received a phone call saying, you know, it, it's a very expensive school to go to. And and even with loans and such that I had, uh, we couldn't continue uh, to, to stay at school. So during my second year, my dad called me and said, look, you're either going to have to find a job or you're going to have to come home. So uh, I went downstairs. That, after hanging up the phone, I went downstairs. There was a large bulletin board at CalArts that had job postings on it. 
And there was a new company, DIC Animation, opening up a studio in, in, in California. And I went and applied along with about 60 other artists from the animation program at CalArts because the goal really was to try to get a job in animation. And, um, and I was lucky enough to get hired uh, of all those people. They hired one artist. And, um, and I think it was just the effort I put in. The, the owner of the company, Andy Hayward, he said, have you ever done any background paintings? Because we need some background paintings. So I went home, I remember after that interview, I painted all night, did three paintings, went back the next day, showed him my work, and he said, okay, you're hired. Wow. So the, the, the effort paid off. And I stayed with Deke for a few years, and um, and then I left with a, another employee at Deke and formed my own uh, studio to try to develop animation with a company in China. Uh, unfortunately, the company in China, they were making the Teddy Ruxpin doll at the time, mm. if people remember that. Sure. Um, they didn't have the funds necessary to keep going with development of the animation. We had all these great properties. So um, I ended up excuse me, taking a job with Mattel Toys after that as a designer and, and pretty much made a, a you know, very nice, happy living and career in California for about 14 years and, um, and then decided it was time for a change. We had earthquakes. We had all kinds of craze, craziness in California, and um, it was time just to make a change in, in my life. So, so tell me how when you, you come back to, you come down to Orlando, uh, you're doing some freelance work initially, and then how do you eventually get? Did, did you start doing any freelance work for Disney, and is that how sort of you you got into the company? Yeah, at, at the time uh, I had been freelancing in California for a number of years, and one of my clients was Disney. I, I met with an artist that maybe some of your listeners will know, uh, Willie Ito, and Willie was a terrific man. Um, uh, worked in consumer products in California. And I went to him and said, hey, I'm moving to Florida. Do you know anybody down at the parks that maybe I can talk to about freelancing? He gave me Mark Seppala's name, met with Mark. Mark was extremely generous, gave me a lot of work to do for him. Uh, they were a very small unit at the time uh, over near SeaWorld. There, there was an office in the Westwood facility. And Mark gave me a lot of, a lot of work to do. And then, as I mentioned, as they grew and I ran into him at a convention, he, he asked for me to, to hire because it kept getting bigger, the staff. And... Um, uh, so it was very exciting to get the chance to interview and then come to work here because I didn't know. I thought I would just keep freelancing when I moved to Florida because I was working for Bush Gardens. I was working for Hard Rock. I was working for Disney. I had clients in California I was still working for. I was very happy in my freelance work. And the freelance gives you the opportunity to go get your hair cut at 1 o'clock in the afternoon right. where it's a little harder to do when you're working in-house. So um, uh, so I decided that maybe it was time to go in-house, and, and I was really thankful that Mark you know, asked me to show a portfolio. So when you come in and you work for Mark, and, and Mark is great and he's incredibly talented and he's been on the show before, um, what are some of the things that you're working on? Are you working on artwork for the parks? Is it more hard or soft line merchandise? Uh, well, pretty much the first job out of the shoot, because Mark's responsibility as a manager at that time was, uh, one of the things was events, which included things like Disneyana. So I remember my first job working for Mark was to work on an illustration for Disneyana. And um, uh, and it was exciting because, you know, I, I had been to Disneyana as a guest. Um, and to jump in and start contributing in that fashion right away as a new person to the team uh, was really wonderful. Because I just thought, well, they're going to give me some, some simpler things to do. And the guys that have been here for a while that deserve the bigger projects will get those. But Mark was very generous in giving me wonderful projects to do over the years. And the entire time I spent on his team, he was really quick to go, here, just go do this, like the Star Wars Weekends and, and other projects. He, I can never thank him enough. He's touched so many people here 
as far as people we've hired and projects he's given them to make them better artists, things that he could have even kept as an artist to do himself, he gave to us. So there's a lot of us here that, that, that owe our jobs to Mark and, and a huge uh, uh, you know, amount of gratitude towards all the work, wonderful work he gave us over the years. Well, certainly it's a, it's a testament to the amount of trust that he had in you to be able to say, here, go with it. And you, when you were talking about some of the things that you've done, I know you've done... Um, Food and Wine Festival, you talk about special events like the Disneyana. A lot of people don't remember the old Disneyana collector's conventions that were a very big deal for a number of years, uh, sometimes back. But you mentioned two words that, of course, made mine and many other ears perk up, and it's Star Wars and, you, and Star Wars Weekends. Tell us about working on Star Wars Weekends, because this is something I think a lot of people don't realize has been going on and really sort of growing over time beyond just having artwork and, and parades in the parks. Now merchandise is such a very big part of it as well. Yeah, it was a, a wonderful opportunity given to me when, when uh, early on in my career at Disney that they were thinking about bringing a Star Wars convention to Disney in the year 2000. And uh, we had done a small thing before, way before I worked here in the 80s, and, but they wanted to make it a little bit bigger. And uh, so they asked if I would create a kind of a movie poster type piece of artwork that would help promote that event. And it, and it was a illustration I did of a lightsaber cutting out a corporate Mickey head. And uh, I got a lot of positive response from, from our, our team here at Disney and ultimately uh, the team at Lucas uh, loved it. And we, and we went out the door with all sorts of merchandise. We did pins and hats. And I don't know if we did a coin that first year, but we did a lot of product. And we did really well. And we decided, okay, let's do it again. And as luck would have it, they kept coming back and asking me to to do that main piece of poster art for it. And and I did for five years. Um, uh, and it did really, really well. And I'm, I'm extremely proud and excited that I can say I was a part of it. I was in the bookstore not long ago, and there's a, a Star Wars book out. Um, uh, by I think Stephen Sansweet is his name, and he he did one of all the Disney posters, and one of my paintings from that event is in there. So to be included in even just a little bit of that of that culture, considering I went to the movies like a lot of guys did as a kid and was just overwhelmed and saw the movie four or five times and just couldn't wait for the next one to come out. To to be a part of it in any fashion, it's still a little overwhelming for me. It's a wonderful experience. And to have the dream of you know something that you you sketch on your pad. To have the people, it's one thing to have the people at Disney say, yeah, this is great, but to get that sort of approval from Lucas and coming from there has got to make you just, that's going to be very, very rewarding. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it is. It's overwhelming. I mean, everything from getting them, I was so nervous when that piece of artwork went in that they were going to come back and go, you know, no, we want to change it. Because they're a very big company, and, and, as, and as we all know, when you work in this environment, there's always a lot of people, there's always a lot of people that want to... Um, uh, you know, give feedback and kind of art direct things. So I was really nervous that they would change what my initial drawing was. And they didn't change anything. There was nothing they changed. And I was shocked by that. And uh, and then to go to the to the actual event and have guests stand in line to get you to sign something and tell you how, how wonderful a piece of artwork is, it, it's really overwhelming. I remember my parents came to the second year of the Star Wars thing we did. And as we were walking to my signing, I was kind of walking behind, and there were people in line to see Carrie Fisher. Mm-hmm. And my parents heard the people say, oh, look, it's Randy Noble. we got to go get our posters signed. And that was just, it's still like, it gives me the chills. It's like overwhelming that people would even know who I am or that I contributed in any way. So it's, it's amazing. It's wonderful. 
And uh, I will always appreciate uh, Mark giving me the chance to, to do that great event. Well, you're, you're very humble in, in crediting other people, but certainly, you know, again, to have your work be appreciated again by the people who, like, Luke, you know, Luke is very much like Disney, very protective of their brand and their brand identity. And for you to give them something to say, yeah, that's, that's what we want to represent our brand, um, says a lot for the work that you had done. But talking more about Star Wars weekends, I have been going for many, many years. Uh, I remember and, and have some of those old posters that, that you had worked on, but it, it's grown so much. And right now, merchandise is such a big part of the event. People line up very, very early in the morning uh, at Disney's Hollywood Studios just for the merchandise. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think the... I think the quality of the merchandise gets better every year. I think we, we try to bring some new items, uh, especially through gallery, like like medium figurines and big figs that we've done in the past, uh, um, coins. I, I think we keep trying to do things people want. Uh, we also try to keep things limited so that, that we're not just doing a million of something. I know, uh, you know, myself, I used to collect baseball cards. when I, You, you want to have something which is limited in, in quantity, and I can only get it on a particular day, and I can only get it at a certain place. I think it. I think for a lot of guests it adds some value. I know for some guests they wish we would do bigger quantities, mm-hmm. but, um, but I think from an art and collectible standpoint and, um, and just to honor the event, I think it's good maybe with some of the product not to do huge quantities. Yeah. Um, we, we really strive to do great product. Sometimes we hit a bullseye and sometimes we fall a little short. But we always try in the art department to give it our very best. And we're always disappointed if we find out we haven't done it. And we try next year to do better. So we, we, we're excited. All the team here loves working on Star Wars Weekends. And we have a lot of artists from other teams at Disney Design Group that want to participate and come up and say, hey, can I draw something or design something? So we all have a love and a passion for it. So I hate to ask you the, you know, choose your favorite child question, but for the Star Wars merchandise, is there anything that you've created over the years that just sort of resonates with you or one of your favorites? Um, as far as a piece of art, um, the poster I did for the very first year of the lightsaber and the very last piece I did of the Darth Vader helmet where Mickey's drawing on the ears on Darth mm-hmm. Vader, those are two illustrations I did that I was very excited about. As far as actual product is concerned, I was real excited to to do the goofy big fig where he's wearing the the Mickey boxers, because everyone told me Lucas is not going to approve this. It's it's you know we're not sure about this. Everybody kept saying no 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 no, and when Lucas came back and said yeah we love it, uh, I was so happy. And to see that thing out there and and the guest response was really positive, and then and then our own company made a walk around character dressed exactly <laughs> like that. Um, you know that's just amazing. You know I'm I'm still trying to get out to the park to get my picture with him. Um, so hopefully this year I'll get a chance to do it. But product wise, definitely the goofy big fig and then those those two illustrations. Yeah, I mean I could imagine you know walking into some of the Disney galleries and seeing your artwork there and being purchased by guests is rewarding. But to see your creation literally come to life in, in 3D walk around format uh, is amazing. Uh, I, of course, you know you talked about collecting baseball cards and. I mentioned during the introduction that, you know, one thing about Disney merchandise that affords guests the opportunity to do is start collections, um, whether it's pins, whether it's artwork, whatever it might be. Um, a number of years ago, a little thing popped up um, called Vinylmation. Um, and uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, in many circles, you are the man that is attributed to starting what, like I said, has become really a phenomenon. 
Yeah, it it it, it was a um, it, it was a labor of love. Um, I had seen this trend in the marketplace of vinyl collectibles for a couple of years because there were certain artists that I follow, like like Todd Shore. If your listeners look him up on Google, he, he does these really wild, amazing paintings, uh, almost animation style. A lot of his work will have images of Mickey or other characters in it. And they had made a vinyl of one of his characters and, and sold it in, in, in these art stores. And um, if you go to California on Melrose Avenue, there's a couple of shops, Kid Robot and a store called Monkey King. And I had been there, and they, and they only specialize in selling vinyl toys. And my partner in gallery at the time, uh, Aaron Babcock, uh, I was explaining to him as, hey, I think that there's this market for this art that we could put in our galleries. We, we wanted to bring in a guest that wasn't coming into our galleries too, a little younger demographic, because we kept thinking like, what could, we, what could we create that a different, you know, a kid, with, a 16 year old boy would buy, or a 32 year old male or female. We were trying to bring in a different demographic. And I said, I really think this vinyl is kind of a cool thing. So Aaron and I kicked it around for a while. I did some drawings. He and I took a trip about a year or two later, and I took him to Melrose, and I showed him. He walked into Monkey King, he started buying some vinyl, and then he couldn't stop. He kept buying more vinyl. And I think he bought about $80 worth of vinyl before we left the store. We walked down Melrose, and we found another store. I think Urban Outfitters had a location there. They were selling vinyl. And then we went to the Kid Robot store, and they were selling vinyl. By the time we left California, Aaron was sold. We need to do vinyl. And we came back, I did some more drawings of what I thought the character should look like, trying to keep it simple, keep it a Mickey figurine that we could decorate and put graphics on. And, um, and we thought we would do just a small test. Keep it really tiny, let's see how we do. But our leadership at Disney thought, hey, this is, a, this is something that has some validity to it, let's go a little bit bigger with it. So we came out of the box bigger than we thought we would. And it's really just exploded. I, I don't know what to say. It, it, it's way bigger than I thought it ever would be. And, and to create something for the company in, in partnership with Aaron, to, to create a whole new category of collectibles, to have a store that's out there with your stuff in it, um, it's one of my proudest moments working here. It's, so. Is it something that when you first pitched the idea, the light bulb went off in everybody's head? Or was it one of those things that you look and say, well, it's such a radical departure from sort of anything else that we have out there. Yeah, it, 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 was, it was a little bit of a struggle at the beginning. Aaron, Aaron, to Aaron's credit, without Aaron, this would have not gotten off the ground because Aaron pushed really hard with our leadership here at Disney that this is a viable thing, let's give it a shot. And luckily, uh, uh, our director at the time said, yeah, let's give it a try. We're, we'll start out small, let's see where it goes. But as we went up the chain with leadership, Leadership kept saying, hey, there may be something bigger here. So to their credit, um, they gave us a, a little bit more room to play and helped us to grow. But in the beginning, we didn't get a lot of, oh, that's wonderful, let's go big. It was like, I'm not sure. And some of our leadership were like, I don't understand the idea of the blind packaging. You mean our guests aren't going to be able to see what they're buying? But see, going back to the days of the baseball card collecting, when I would go into the grocery store and buy a pack of baseball cards, I didn't know what I was getting, and that was exciting. I couldn't wait to get home and tear it open and see, did I, you know, did I get a Hank Aaron? Did I get a Pete Rose? Uh, and I wanted that same excitement for this. I wanted guests to buy it, not sure what they were getting, and then want to come back and buy another one. And I found guests were doing that. When I attended signings at, at the Downtown Disney Gallery, I would stay afterwards, and guests would come up to the register and say, Randy, i got to buy four or five of these because I'm trying to get this one. Well, every company wants to hear that. They want to hear that the guests are excited and want to buy buy more and love the, and, and love the collectibles. So... 
I, I think everybody was surprised by the success of Vinylmation. You know, when you talk about it in terms of, of baseball cards, it makes sense. But when it's first presented, you know, it's very much a risk because you're mm-hmm. selling people something that they don't know what they're getting. It's certainly in a tough economy. I mean, this came, you started out in 2008. Um, you know, the economy still was not the best at that point. So you're buying something and you may right. get lucky, you may not. Um, Was there that sense that, yeah, we might be taking a gamble, or should we just sort of show people what's in the box? Yeah, we had convinced leadership to, let's take the gamble. Uh, Leadership also said, let's create some with a plastic window so the guests can see what they're getting. Because you're going to have a certain percentage of guests that are going to want to see what they're buying, and that's fine. Um, We didn't fight too hard to keep it all blind box. We're like, we can do something for everybody. Um, and you're right. As far as the economy, I was sweating bullets. I was thinking, man, we're bringing out this thing that I have a lot of passion about right during a time when people are like, do I want to put $5 worth of gas in my car? And and, and I wasn't sure because I thought this thing might get hurt by the economy. Mm-hmm. And then they'll look at it and go, no, nah, it wasn't really successful. We shouldn't do that again. So somehow people found the love that I had for, for, for the product and, and, and for the direction we were going, and they kept it alive and and. I'm so thankful to all the people that collected it that stuck with us and, and, and still stick with it because I know you have other things to do with your dollars than, than sometimes to buy automation. So thank you for that. It's been wonderful. I think, and I very much may be wrong, but I think that part of the, the initial success out of the box, pardon the pun, was because it wasn't just, okay, we're going to release the Fab Five as figures. You went with something that I know I, as a Disney enthusiast, and I think a lot of people wanted what was more theme park specific merchandise and so the first series out of the box was the park series and sort of a, a tie so tell me about sort of tying it into Walt Disney World and Disneyland and the attractions yeah we, we we had the Mickey form and our basic thought was we're going to come out with two different series we're going to do an urban series which is pretty much whatever the artists want to do and let's do park specific because we knew our guests love our parks I mean that's why we come here we love our location so we sat with the form and we tried to think, okay, how am I going to fit the teacup ride on that three-dimensional little form? Um, and every artist had the chance to kind of give their input as to how they thought that would work. And we gave a lot of latitude towards what the designs would be. And luckily, our guests responded in a positive way because I think it was something that they had never seen before. And it was unique. It was a small, cute little character that, that had maybe an attraction on it that they loved or in the case with the one I designed I did the balloon head Mickey where you had the Disneyland and Disney World balloon on each side so that kind of resonated with guests so the art department was loving working on it our guests were loving buying it and seeing what the new designs were going to be so we had a really great formula that was happening a really wonderful thing that was happening there how did the process work internally so you say alright we're going to create some theme park specific ones there's however many people on the team is it Go pick your favorite attraction, or do you guys arm wrestle to see who gets to do the Haunted Mansion and Pirates? I think there's a lot of arm wrestling goes on now. Uh, at, in the beginning days, it was really uh, myself and Aaron, uh, my design manager, Dan Howard, and, uh, and, and Maria Claps, who, who was freelancing for us at the time, or an intern maybe. And a very small group of us worked on this art. So there wasn't a lot of fighting going on, like who, you know, who could. Mm-hmm. The, the rest of the art department knew of our little thing we were doing, didn't know quite too much what we were doing at that time, because we were in such a rush to get artwork done, to meet a deadline so the production could get done, to find a factory to, to make it, that we were just like, 
just go do it quick hurry you get it done i'll take this one you do that one and so there wasn't a lot of competition at that point as vinylmation grew and become bigger and bigger and bigger more people were knocking on my door going hey if you need help i'd love to i'd sure. love to work on it so that was cool because um when you get the rest of the art department noticing what you're doing and coming by asking to help then you knew you had something people really liked so that made me feel good um and now there's so many artists here at ddg that contribute to to the designs um, that, that it, it still excites me that that many people still love it that much. And I think that one of the things that I like is the fact that there is attribution to the artists that are creating. A lot of times we go into the theme parks and we buy merchandise mm-hmm. never realizing that there is a person in the back who is drawing that, who's sculpting it, and you don't know who they are. Now you can look on the bottom and you see the artist's name where you go online, you find it, or even better yet, you can go to a signing and you you know do signings and people want you to sign they're three inch now that the nine inch vinyl nations yeah well a lot of the credit for artist signatures going on the vinyl even the ones you buy in the store or ones that i just sign in the public has to go to to aaron babcock uh, as the product developer for the category you know he he said it correctly in a meeting we had when he was speaking with our executives this is a three-dimensional canvas so he looked at it always as being a piece of art a piece of artwork the same way you would go in and look at a painting hanging on a wall he looked at this as a piece of art so Aaron fought for the artist's signature being on the bottom of every piece because it is a work of art. And um, he really deserves all the credit for helping the DDG artists get a little bit more exposure to our guests. That, yeah, we're here, we're helping to contribute to the memories you have of coming to our parks, and we're proud of the work that we do. So were you surprised when you saw it take off um, in really a way that I think a lot of people didn't expect. I, I will be completely candid, and when they came out, I said, what is this? What is this silly little... I said, you know what? It's going to completely fail. And I said, I'm not going to get sucked into this. And then I saw the smart one figure. Yeah. I was like, oh. Yeah. And I bought one, and like your friend in California, yeah. next thing I know, I've got two shelves yeah. filled with vinylations, and... and I think a great part of it is the quest. You know, unlike right. collecting pins, right. the quest now and the trading aspect yeah. uh, is part of the fun. You get that interaction with other cast members and with other people. There's vinylmation meets that happen yeah. around the country. Um, you know, did you guys ever sort of see it exploding the way it did? And now there's vinylmation logo gear, yeah. nine inch vinylmations, and the, you know. Yeah, no, I, I I didn't see it getting that big. I, we. I, I have since kind of left Vinylmation behind. I, I, my responsibility has always been uh, the gallery for Disney, uh, for our ships, uh, for our land-based galleries in the parks. And uh, Vinylmation was developed under that banner of the gallery. Mm-hmm. And as it grew, the company realized we weren't going to be able to keep it just in gallery because it was such a big project. So they, they took it and put it into the, the, the toy teams category here at Disney Design mm-hmm. Group. And, and it's been run beautifully by Thomas Scott and, and the group of artists on that team. Uh, and I remember walking into a conference room when they had developed more products, shirts and bags and all these different things, and just being overwhelmed by all the product that had been done. And, and I never foresaw it becoming as big as it is. I mean, we're selling these things in our parks overseas in Paris and, and Japan and everywhere. So we had dreamed that we could maybe do that, but you always do that. It's like, you know, it's like a parent thinking, my kid's going to grow up to be president someday. Well, I was that way with vinyl thinking, well, maybe someday we could get into the park overseas and we could have T-shirts and all this kind of, but, you know, 
it's just one of those silly dreams. And then for it to actually happen was really amazing. I, I still walk around and I'm just overwhelmed by how successful it's been. I, one little thing that I did as a part of Vinylmation, I took all the characters out into the park and I took photographs of them. And we used that to help promote the vinyl. And then all of a sudden, our guests started copying that. They would take their own vinyl on vacation. And if you go on Flickr or mm-hmm. one of the, you'll see, you know, one of my nine-inch characters at an Olympic site. Like I did Mickey as a swimmer. He's got this little mm-hmm. yellow um, inner tube around him and with Donald Duck on it. And the next thing I know, I'm looking on Flickr, and someone has taken him, and they've gone to the, an Olympic site in Canada somewhere and put him in front of a swimming pool with the Olympic logo behind him. And it was just <laughs> awesome. So these little photographs we were taking just for fun to help promote. And I would hand out these little cards at signing that had the little photo on it. The guests were mimicking that, mm. and, and that told me that, wow, it was really resonating with guests, that they were now wanting to photograph there. And there's thousands of photographs on the Internet now that, of people's own vinyl collections in funny little scenes. So I, I don't know. It, it keeps getting bigger and bigger all the time. Well, speaking of the guests, you know, something else that happens now that maybe you never predicted or, or saw coming when you first came up with the idea is you're now selling guests a blank canvas. Yeah. You sell them a, a plain white vinylmation and Randy I'm sure you've seen even more than I have you are give, you are empowering the guests with the ability whether it's a four year old that wants to draw on it or it's the budding artist that wants to create there are some amazing pieces of custom vinylmation out there uh, it's, it's really wonderful I, I literally just got an email uh, on Monday from, from a, a guest that lives in New York that went out and bought uh, a, a new 9-inch blank and was customizing it. Uh, this artist has been sending me um, stuff from the very beginning of vinyl. They would even take the ones we had. We didn't have blanks in the very beginning that we were selling as much as we are today. And he would take um, one out of the Park Series and redecorate it and send it to me. So that's been really interesting to see how excited guests have been to to get their own blank and decorate it and share that or, or trade that or whatever they do with it. So I, I, I've been in surprised all the way along with Vinylmation about how it really has connected with our guests. Because like you mentioned, a lot of guests came up to me in the very early days and said, I don't really get this, and what is this? And, you know, I'm not sure if this is good or what. So it was funny. And then these same guests came back to me and go, you know, i got to be honest with you, I can't stop buying these things now. <laughs> you are making a lot of people very happy and broke at the same yeah. time. <laughs> so, But yeah, the uh, you know some of the, the art that people are creating is if their favorite character or their favorite attraction hasn't been created yet, they're making it and they're embellishing it with right. hair or uh, accessories or whatever it might be. Or, you know, they're doing one of real people. I've mm-hmm. seen ones of their own family. A friend of mine, for a birthday present, made me a vinylmation of me, which is a little creepy, but it was, but it was awesome to That's see true. because, again, it, it's different than just giving somebody sure. a, a blank canvas. It's that three-dimensional aspect of it. Sure, yeah. Well, I think it goes back to the earlier question you asked me about how I was influenced by Disney as a kid. I think all of us uh, have, a, uh, have a love for, for, for Disney, the parks, the films. We all want to try to find a way of how can we be a part of that magic that happens. And I think when our guests go out and they buy a vinyl uh, and they design it, it's their little way of participating in all the wonderful things that Disney has given back to us over the years. And, uh, and that's wonderful to see and to know that that, that, that Aaron and I had helped to contribute to, to people's enjoyment of Disney a little bit more uh, than, than I've done my job. 
And so I have to ask you the requisite question. I know you can't, but I'm going to ask you anyway. You know, you seem to be going from project to project, all of which really excites you. I mean, you can, you know, hopefully it comes through in audio, but I can certainly see on your face the passion that you have for what you're doing. You know, what is it that excites you now? What are you working on now that excites you? What do you enjoy working on most? Well, one of the great things about working here is because of the success of Automation and some other projects I've worked on, I'm always encouraged, hey, Randy, do you have any new ideas, things we've not done before? So I love to contribute to the organization with new product development. Um, and I'm working on a lot of things right now that, that unfortunately, I can't kind of go into for legal reasons. Um, but I'm really excited about it and I can't wait to see it get developed further. And hopefully you'll come back someday and go, wow, Randy, this thing you just did, I, I like it, it's wonderful. Or, hey, Randy, I didn't like that and here's what you should have done. But the excitement of being able to create a new product for the company and new art for the company is wonderful. I just finished a painting for uh, uh, the cruise line for the Alaska cruise that we're going to be having. And I'm really excited to have that piece of artwork. So that, that's kind of a, a one-off thing. Um, but I also have some products in development that are larger in scope that I hope the guests will, will love down the road, too. I think they're a couple years out before they, they, they see life on the shelf. But, uh, but the excitement of always being able to challenge myself to come up with something new that will get the guest excited, that's what I love. And that's what I love to work on. And that's why I stayed in gallery, because gallery affords me the opportunity to work on everything from big figs to original paintings to brand new product ideas like Vinylmation. And with so much changing and so many new things coming out, you know, we just talked. We talked about the things that you had done for the Disney Dream, and then the fantasy, and then the expansion of the company. There's always new opportunities. You know, Randy, you, for many people who are maybe listening, who are the kids who are sitting in high school drawing on the side, or even the adults are saying, "I've been doing this for years." You, you very much are sort of living the dream. You've got that Cinderella story. Everybody's path to getting here, yours, Mark's, Brian Blackmore's, Ralph Kent's, was very different. But if you had a bit of advice to give to somebody who's listening, young or old, about saying, you know, God, I wish I could work for Disney. How do I get, what would, what would a you know, sort of general advice be? Yeah, I, I think the, the best advice I got when I was younger was uh, draw all the time and not give up on the passion you have for what you want to do. It's really important to follow uh, in your life what you love and if what you love is working for the Walt Disney Company in any department, but specifically the art department, get the training necessary. Work for companies that do similar type products that we do, whether it's Hallmark Cards or Inesco or Mattel Toys. Work in the field for somebody until you can get in here. Now, I know that the job opportunities within Disney Design Group happen occasionally, um, but if, you're, if your passion is to work in, in, in the area I work in, which is doing consumer products, then uh, try to find companies that work in a similar field. If you want to work in animation or at Pixar or one of those places, the key is to not give up. Keep putting your portfolio in all the time. Keep drawing. Keep getting better as an artist. Uh, I know of artists that worked in our animation department here in Florida that they submitted portfolios 15, 20 times before they got accepted. I would tell people don't give up because I've seen too many artists get hired after that 20th submission that if you give up after the first or second time on the dream, you're always going to kick yourself that you, you didn't find a way to make it happen. We have artists here that work in our sketch art program in the galleries that have gotten jobs within Disney and specifically Disney Design Group. So keep drawing, keep practicing, 
contact people like me to help guide you. That's what I did when I came here with my father. Those artists in 1981 helped me to get into CalArts and eventually here. So find what you can find a way. Just don't give up. The biggest thing is don't give up. Excellent. Well, you are, as I said before, you are incredibly humble. Uh, your work is amazing. Um, obviously, very gifted as well. Um, very generous with your time. For us today, it's been a privilege to be able to talk to you. I hope and I really encourage people who enjoy your work or want to do what you do to pay attention to the Disney website and find out when you are coming to the galleries and doing signings and, and taking the time out of the trip to come and meet you. Uh, Randy Noble from the Disney Design Group, um, keep doing what you do. Um, I can tell you on behalf of the guests, uh, it is very, very much appreciated. You may not get to hear it every day, but know that we enjoy everything that you do. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks so much for taking the time and tuning in this and every week. Thanks again to my guest, Randy Noble, from the Disney Design Group. To hear interviews with other members of the Design Group, hear their story, learn more about their journey, and get their advice as to how to follow your dream as well, you can go back and listen to all the shows in the archive either at www.radio.com, click on the podcast link there, and those in all the past episodes, including those, are in iTunes, so you can get those interviews as well as many others that I've done over the years. You'll also find that most of the shows and segments are evergreen, so you can go back and check out some of our reviews, Wayback Machines, history, trivia, lots more, again, on the site or in iTunes. Speaking of the website at www.radio.com, there is lots more there, including our fun, friendly discussion forums where you can talk with other Disney fans about all things Disney in a fun, friendly, safe environment. There's our blog post, photo galleries, videos, lots more. Speaking of the blog, don't forget to check out the daily blog posts. This week, we have more information about the Disney Book Club, including new discussion questions on the blog. Again, we're reading Ridley Pearson's Kingdom Keepers 4. If you haven't started reading it yet, that's okay. You can come by, be a part of the book club, and join in the discussion right on the site. Visit thedisneybookclub.com or visit www.radio.com. Check out the blog for more information. And as you know, I love the site and the show to be interactive. So if you want to comment on this week's show, please come by. Visit the show notes at www.radio.com. You can also email me with any questions at lou at www.radio.com. Or if you want to be heard on the air, call into the toll-free voicemail line at 888-703-2171. On the site, you can also sign up for our free newsletter. Download the free WW Radio iPhone app and get all the other ways to connect through Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn. I'm at Lou Mangiello on Twitter and on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash WDW radio. Don't forget that in addition to the weekly podcast, you can come by every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern to watch the WDW newscast. It's a live interactive video news show covering Walt Disney World where you can be part of the broadcast and the discussion and talk about the show and ask and answer questions about the news real-time in the chat room. Again, that's 7.30 p.m. Eastern at wdwnewscast.com. If you missed the show live, that's okay. It will be on YouTube, on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash wdwradio. It'll also be posted on the blog, and the audio-only portion will be available in the WDW Radio iTunes feed. 
And as much as I like hearing from you in all these different social media and, and online outlets, there is nothing like getting the opportunity to meet you in person. And that's why I have a meet every month in Walt Disney World, a chance for me to meet you and you to meet each other. Great way for the community to get together. Date and location for upcoming meets of the month include Saturday, April 30th. That's going to be 3 o'clock p.m. in the Magic Kingdom. We're going to meet at the covered seating area right across from the Sunshine Tree Terrace over in Adventureland. That's a seating area that wraps around the magic carpets of Aladdin right across from the Enchanted Tiki Room and the Sunshine Tree Terrace. Just a very casual meetup gives us a chance to get together, meet one another. You get to meet each other. We can have a snack, maybe even talk about some of the changes that may be coming to the Enchanted Tiki Room. In May, lots going on in May. There's Destination D and the D23 Scavenger Hunt. Speaking of which, a great way to prepare at home is, of course, with the Walt Disney World trivia books and audio guides to Walt Disney World. They are both full of trivia and secrets, fun facts, history, and maybe some little details that may be able to help you and your team prepare for the scavenger hunt. For more information or to order, you can visit the shop over at www.radio.com. There's also some specials going on now if you order all five copies of the audio guides on CD. Uh, we may have an informal meetup right around D23. Stay tuned to Twitter and the show for more information. But the official meet is going to be Saturday, May 21st. That's going to be 11 a.m. at the Backlot Express over at Disney's Hollywood Studios that is right next to Star Tours. That is going to be opening weekend for Star Tours 2. It's going to be Star Wars weekend. Lots of Disney, Star Wars geeky goodness going on there. Again, that's 11 o'clock a.m. Saturday the 21st at Backlot Express. In June, we're going to be meeting in Epcot, and it's going to be Saturday, June 11th. And I picked that date and location as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, for a very specific reason, because we are going to meet in Japan for Japan. And we're going to do some fundraising efforts before and after the event uh, to try and help raise some funds for a tragedy that is still ongoing over in Japan. Uh, there is a link to uh, our fundraising page over at firstgiving.com where we're raising money for the American Red Cross Relief Fund. I'll put a link in this week's show notes. You can also find that link over at disneymeets.com. Also in June, if you're going to be in the Pacific Northwest, the Pacific North, Northwest Mouse Meet is going to be Saturday, June 25th from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. I'll be back having a table and speaking once again. There's lots of other speakers, fan displays, a merchandise show and sale, games, contests, pin trading, a charity auction, lots of fun going on up there. Uh, tickets are now available and you can go to pnwmousemeet.com for more information. In August, we've got the D23 Expo. We will be there once again. Lots planned for that weekend. And don't forget, in October, we're going to do a 40-hour live video broadcast honoring the 40th anniversary of Walt Disney World. That's going to be the weekend of October 1st from Walt Disney World. Again, lots going on that weekend. Come by and join us as we celebrate. There's also the Wine and Dine. A marathon going on, food and wine festival, lots more. If you are thinking about participating in the Wine and Dine Marathon or any of the Disney running events, don't forget we'd love for you to come by and be a part of the WW Radio running team as we get together as a team and also raise funds for the Dream Team Project. We raise money for the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. For more information, you can visit www.radio.com slash running but for more information about any or all of these meets again go to disneymeets.com you'll also find Facebook event pages created for all these 
And of course, don't forget about the WDW Radio Cruise on the Disney Dream in fall 2012. For more information about that, it is going to be November 4th through the 8th. That's Jersey Week for those of you in New Jersey. Uh, for more information, visit wdwradio.com slash dream2012. You'll also find a link to that right on the homepage of wdwradio.com. Finally, quick thanks to my partners and sponsors, including MEI and Mouse Fan Travel. So if you're going out to California, you're going to Walt Disney World, or you're going on a cruise, be sure and visit mousefantravel.com. Not just for the best prices, but for that level of personal service that only they can give. And if you're looking for a vacation home within just a couple of miles of Walt Disney World, whether you want a little more space, a little more privacy, a private pool, a spa, kitchen, game room, multiple master bedrooms, lots of great amenities and more, visit our friends over at allstarvacationhomes.com. They have everything from two-bedroom condos up to seven-bedroom homes and lots more. When you are in Walt Disney World and you are looking for a fun place to go and enjoy some good food, be sure and check out Bongo's Cuban Cafe in downtown Disney's modeled after 1950s Havana nightclub, high energy, great food, live music and dancing on Friday and Saturday, indoor and outdoor seating, three bars, an express window, lots more. You can check them out over at bongoscubancafe.com or just stop in over at downtown Disney's west side. And finally, if you want to stay right in the heart of Walt Disney World, one of my favorite places to stay, if you follow me on Twitter, you see my tweets, not just from the view from my room of the boardwalk in Crescent Lake and Hollywood Studios, but oftentimes of the food that I'm eating. It's some of my favorite places like Kimono's, Blue Zoo, and Shula's. Of course, you know I love the Heavenly Beds. There's a Mandara Spa. Lots more Disney benefits over at the Swan and Dolphin. You can visit them over at swanandolphin.com. Lots more I have planned for the show and the site. I've got some great guests coming up, some trivia contests and lots more, as well as a few announcements for some things that I've been working on and planning for some time now. Really excited about sharing that with you probably over the next couple of weeks. But in the meantime, as always, my friends, if you like the show, all I ask is that you please help spread the word. Let others know about the show. Tweet out that you're listening. Share a link over on Facebook. And please come by, review the show and the free iPhone app over in iTunes. And as always, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we've met or not, and I hope we get a chance to meet up at one of the meets of the month or elsewhere, I hope that you find the opportunity and the motivation to start pursuing your passion and following your dreams. And when you do, always keep moving forward. Thank you so much for taking the time and tuning in this and every week. I hope you have a great week, everybody. See ya. Hey, Lou, Gary from Columbus calling. Hope you're well. Just listen to your show about the best water effect in the world. I had one obvious one that I would add, and this is kind of a geeky engineering type of thing, but the water bridge between the Seven Seas Lagoon and Bay Lake over by the Contemporary it's always fascinated me. I like going over it on the boat. I like going under it on the buses. I check it out in Google Earth. I think, how on earth did they build that thing? It's so cool. So that's the one thing that I would add to your list. Other than that, many on there that I didn't think of, and several that I did. So enjoyed it thoroughly. Thanks, please. Take care. Hi, Lou. This is Jen Tremley from Bristol, Connecticut. Just wanted to say hello and. Thanks again for the lovely um, weekly podcast. I thoroughly enjoy listening to them. Uh, I actually have them going in the background while I'm working, and it um, it really just takes me away and puts me 
right into the middle of the magic, uh, whether it's talking about my favorite attraction or listening uh, to the music that you play in the background. It's just, it's just an awesome, awesome show. Um, I love what you do, um, as I've said before, and I just uh, recently subscribed to Celebrations Magazine. What a wonderful publication. Um, I, I just really, really thoroughly enjoy your website, your books, your audio guides, everything. And uh, I hope one of these days I can uh, meet up with you at a meet of the month. Um, I am going to Disney in September, um, September 17th, actually, uh, to the 24th. So I'm hoping that uh, maybe you can uh, plan your September meet of the month from around that time because I'd, uh, I'd love to meet up with you and uh, shake your hand. And, again, just thank you very much for everything you do for us Disney nuts out there. Have a great week. Hey, Lou. It's Glenn from Alabama. Um, just wanted to call and let you know that I just got finished listening to your top ten segment with uh, Tim about the water features. I have to say, as I've said before, the top ten uh, shows are probably my favorite segment of your show. Um, I do wish you'd uh, do some more DSIs, but top ten, uh, I love them. I love the DSIs. I love the interaction between you and Tim. And, you know, when I first heard that you were doing a top ten on water features, I kind of thought, ah, this one may not be as good as the rest of them, but it, I was, I was just blown away as usual. So many things that I wouldn't have thought about, even though I know how many water, water features there are in, in Walt Disney World. And, uh, you guys just hit the nail on the head with so many of them. And there nearing the end, I thought, I'm going to have to call and give a few that they left out, but then you got them at the tail end, and I love the fact that you brought up Catastrophe Canyon, or, and, um, also Phantasmic. So those two were two that I was thinking, oh, I hope they mentioned those two because those are two of my favorite. Tim mentioned the, the near misses, and uh, Catastrophe Canyon definitely falls into that particular category. But uh, love the show, and keep up the great work. Thanks for all you do. For those of us that don't get down there as much as we would like, um, that really keeps the magic going uh, through our days and years. So uh, we appreciate it, and I hope you get to... Meet you in person sometime. All right. Bye bye. You've got a friend in me. Yeah.